Welcome back. This is the 18th episode of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. Joining me today to talk about ideas and identity is Canadian producer, DJ, and innovator, Richie Houghton. Rich is best known for his contributions to techno, both under his real name and in the 1990s, under his iconic Plastic Man alias. Since, he's become infamous not only for his music, but for his conceptual performance ideas, his innovation in music technology, his collaborations in art and fashion, and his own entrepreneurial ventures. He's a man that wears many hats, and in this conversation, we take a look at how they each fit into his identity as an artist. Pleasure. I want to start actually, I was reading obviously a lot of your interviews before we met today and uh, there's one that you did with Resident Advisor back in 2008 and one of the lines that really stuck out from this profile was, Richie Houghton doesn't need to try new things, but he does. Uh, does that resonate with you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I did, you know, sometimes I think I've said I have a short attention span, but I've been into electronic music now for so long that maybe that's not the case. <laughs> But uh, I've always had a fascination of the future and, I, and, and challenging myself. And I always remember, even when I was a kid, that some, I don't know, maybe this sounds really corny or stupid, but that I wanted to be different. Even like eight or nine, I was wearing all black, you know, and nobody else in school was. And then I had a, a skateboard before everybody. And not that it was any good. Um, <laughs> But I think some, some of that just is innately inside me that I want to keep moving forward and I get a lot of enjoyment when I'm in a challenging situation and I have to learn something else. So is that that I get bored quick or I don't, I don't know what it is, but I, when I, you know, I, it really feels like that's been in me since I can remember. And so how did that sort of, this kind of new ideas thing, how did that manifest when you were younger, for example? Was it just sort of like you said, sort I, well, of trying, I, well, trying a bunch of things? Yeah, I was jumping around, like probably, you know, having lots of different ideas of, of what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, a lot of it was always based somehow around technology because, you know, my dad was a tinkerer, was mm. building computers and... He worked in robotics. Right? Yeah, robotics and always taking apart anything my dad bought that was electronic that he could take apart. You know, back those days, it wasn't like... Like, now you buy something, it's all plastic, you can't take it apart, right? Mm. But I think uh, in the 70s and 80s, you could. And that curiosity also, mm. I think, maybe is a, a good way to kind of phrase my 
my my lust for new and interesting things. I really you know just came from that the household that I I grew up on, and and that also I think there was a a lot of music in 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 my household with my dad playing records all the time and reel de reels and listening to John Peel. So there was strange sounds and electronics and 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 that kind of wrapped around my curiosity too. So there was a lot of experimentation and curiosity in what I could do with devices. I remember being, you know, in my early teens or even nine or 10, having little electronic kits and making little wireless radios. And yeah, just, um, uh, yeah, curiosity and, and in a way kind of like hacking and, and seeing, seeing what I could make or what I could do with things. So what would you say is your biggest motivation for trying new things where electronic music is concerned? You know, when I first heard electronic music, specifically techno music, like early Detroit records in probably around 1987, 88, it just sounded like music from the future. And when I heard or met some of those producers, Derek May, Kevin Saunders, and Blake Baxter, everyone just had this optimistic view of the future. They were always talking about, you know, the impossible or the unprobable. And that really, for me, became the, the, the fabric of what techno and electronic music is. This push forward and this, this search into the unknown of new sounds and rhythms. And um, it, it, that really um, became the foundation. Like, that's the definition. When I, when I see the word techno, it's like I see the word future at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's changed for people over over time and as techno is fragmented and you know everybody has a, a different interpretation now but it, it for me it's not about the, whether it's hard or soft or ambient or trap it just is there an intention when you make music or play music or perform music of moving or looking or trying to step forward and that is something that is quite, you know, prevalent in my daily thinking or, you know, routine when I, when I sit down in front of machines or when I stand up on stage behind machines. Do you think that your motivation has changed over the years, I guess, just in terms of trying new things or trying something different? Um, what was it like to try new things as a DJ in the, in the 90s? Because obviously there's sort of a, a bit less... To do, to do, do you know what I mean? Like, there's less technology, so there's less sort of new things that you could try. Yeah, um, I think in, in in the 90s, maybe there was somehow there was more to do because mm. um, less had been done, and the the word hack comes up again because. In the late 80s and early 90s, it was really in the beginning days of techno music. And it was, you know, myself and I think many other people made music with the machines that they found. It wasn't that you could download software or go and buy the latest Native Instruments products. It was kind of like, what's at the pawn shop? Mm -hmm. What does it sound like when I turn it on? You know, what can I afford for 50 bucks? And you know what, how how can I squeeze the maximum out of it? So, if for an, as an example, I remember finding a really little 
Boss, which was like the cheap Roland um, delay, you know, like, like what, what, what would you say? How would you say it? Like the, like this, the second tier company Roland. It was like their um, their basic level entry device. And mm -hmm. I bought this little delay, and I thought it was super cool as I was trying things in the studio. And then it was just like, well, I bought this. I should use it as much as I can. So why not take it to the club and plug it in and see what happened? But there were, and there was absolutely no rules. Like now it's like, are you a digital DJ? Or are you a vinyl DJ? Are you, you know, and if you're a vinyl, are you pure? Does it have to go through an analog mix? There's all these divisions and things that you can't and can't do to, because the definition is so specific in all these little microcosms of, of, of electronic music. But, and, and also musically back, back then too, it was like we were playing house and techno and I remember playing even a weird like edgy hip-hop track so everything was open there were, everything was mashed up and um, so I, I, I really f remember that as a, a great moment just to incubate ideas and experiment. I was speaking with Steffi about this um, and she was saying that innovation sort of depends on the time period in which it took place as you mentioned because it was maybe easier to do something when there was less technology or like technology wasn't as advanced would you say? Well, yeah, technology, I don't know if it's less or more advanced, but at that moment, in the early days for me, there wasn't technology really being specifically made for electronic music or DJing. Mm -hmm. Okay, there was a mixer and there was two turntables, and there was keyboards and drum machines, but they were nearly... Like three or threes and drum machines were kind of made by the manufacturers in the late 70s and 80s to replace a drummer, you know, so that when you had a session or when you were practicing, you could kind of have your band sounding like a real band. It wasn't made with the intention that one person was going to sit in front of this and make a whole new sound that sounded like the future. And, and now what I think is different is that there's so many specific devices made for us. So people are like, this is made to make techno with. So you've already narrowed the definition of what techno should be. And on one level, I think it's incredible that there's an ecosystem for producers or, and, and people wanting to get involved in making or baking beats or, or DJing. And there's schools around the world where you can learn, you know, there's curriculums of how to make all the different genres. That's incredible, but as the, the more you define it, the more you kind of focus a certain direction, the more that most people go that way. And that wasn't the case in the, in, in the late 80s and early 90s. There, uh, you know, there was no barriers. And I think the, the crowds of people listening and people dancing and watching were really open-minded to just see what happened. Do you think that you are going to run out of ideas one day? Um, I definitely had many, many moments where I have run out of ideas. It's what, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, partly when I don't make as much music as I used to. And that is probably more because my schedule is so full of other things that are going on in my life. But it's definitely um, also due to not feeling inspired or not knowing what to make or not really feeling like going to the studio. So I think all those things happen. Um, but at one point, sometimes a couple of weeks later, a couple of days, or sometimes even a couple of years, and that's why 
you know, Plastic Man albums don't come out all the time. Um, at one moment, something comes up. Either really, you wake up in the morning and, and you and you know, or you're reading the paper, walking down the street, or somebody says something, or you're watching a movie, and you're like, click, and, and it starts again. I have no worry that those sparks will stop coming. You know, I think the there's so many things going on in the world, but the most important thing is our imagination. The only thing that we need to do is give ourselves time for our imagination to deliver something. And that's probably the, the, the hardest thing for all of us these days because the world is so full on, you know, from reading what's happening in the world and, and the news to the streams of information and social media. Like it, it just, it's so difficult to find quiet time. Um, I've always been one, like I love going away by myself for a couple of days. I try actually, you know, yearly to have a week or two by myself. That's not like with my friend or with my wife. It's like, you know, just rich time read a book and just do nothing and let, let's, you know, see what percolates up. It's very, very in my mind right now because I just had a two-week, um, you know, complete cut-off digital health retreat, you know, not exactly alone with my wife, but, you know, walking through forests. And it, it wasn't the, you know, I wasn't inspired because I was walking through the forest. I was inspired by silence and letting things just naturally come up and, my brain usually always comes up with something. And that's exciting, just, Definitely. you know, you know there's, there's a lot of like silly ideas and stuff, but sometimes you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting, let's, let's see where it goes. And sometimes you're like, that's really a really good idea. And it doesn't mean that that idea should or can happen right at that moment. Sometimes it takes further time, even years, to slowly gestate and kind of become the, you know, kind of gain momentum to become the full potential of, of, of that idea. And so, I mean, I guess there are some DJs, for example, who go to their gig, play the records, pack up and go home. And that's just sort of their career. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But at the same time, I think it's interesting that you've sort of become known for being this DJ who also is this innovator or has all these ideas. Like, do you think that it's sort of become part of your image or your brand? Uh, yeah, I... Uh, Okay, maybe it's not. Is it? I don't know if it is. No, right to, you know, just go to your gig and play and pack up and go home right. like it's a job. Okay, I, I, maybe it is a job for a lot of people. It is. It's my job too. But and maybe this is just because I came up in a different time. But myself and my the friends and colleagues that I feel really connected to, like we live and dream this stuff. Like there's no stop or punch card. Although I, I so I, I, I try to understand people who are more like that. But um, yeah, I'm kind of losing the, the, the exact question. But, um, but no, maybe it is, maybe I am answering it. It's just, it's part of who I am and, and what I think about. And uh, it doesn't just begin or end when I get on stage or it, 
it's just how I live, mm -hmm. you know? I'm, I'm excited by music and technology and communication and, and social things. Like, it, it, it's just like, how does this all work together? And how can you kind of fuse ideas and, and emotions and technology into something which radiates from you and touches people? You know, that, that the power of technology is absolutely incredible, both for good and bad. And I think as I was growing up as a teenager, trying my hands at, you know, cinematography and, you know, editing and special effects and then getting into music, it was always like me and electronic things and devices allowing me to touch people and communicate my ideas and then an early internet early bulletin board systems you know it allowed me to go beyond my physical little house in Windsor Ontario Canada and and reach people in Detroit and then reach people in London England and Amsterdam and then around the world and this was before we had the you know the internet where that was possible to, for everybody and it was just super exciting and even though everybody has that kind of possibility, there's still more you can do with that. And that, that, that's inspiring for me. That, that makes me like when I get up and, you know, I, my eyes open and it's like, wow, another day, what can we do? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I need a coffee or a green tea, but <laughs> that, 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 is, that, that happens more often than not. Does it take a bit of stamina to keep up with that? Yeah, yeah. The, you know, I've been doing this, what is it, what year is it? <laughs> it's, it's the future now, uh, 28 years or 29 years. I think I don't, it, it, takes, it, it takes a balance of so many different things of, uh, uh, to be in this lifestyle, to be creative and to be somehow understanding a bit of business, to be fit and in a the strong mindset to get in front of people and to travel is, is super hard. Like I do more traveling than actually performing. You know, like last weekend I was in South America for two shows. I played for about five hours and just the international flight there and back was 14 hours each way. It's not for everyone. I think that's it, actually quite grueling. Um, so if you're not focused, if you don't have um, oh, I always forget this word. Um, like Discipline? Yeah, I'm going to get this tattooed. <laughs> if you don't have, you know, and I'm not saying I'm completely disciplined because I fall off the wagon sometimes, but, but overall, you have to have discipline to, to be able to do this job and continue to do it well and be positive too. Mm. You know, that, that's, you know, you, that's... Every, you know, we're all giving different messages, but there's, you know, music and clubbing and dancing, even if it's like dark techno, whatever, I think there's some kind of underlining positivity in there, you know, releasing people from maybe the situation they're in or releasing tension or giving smiles. There's so many different things going on, but the base of it, I think there's a positive energy and, you know, coming from me through the machine, through the music that people are like absorbing. You said in an interview once that there was a conscious effort around the late 90s, early 2000s to be part of things that related to music but weren't only relying on musical output. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I guess, you know, that would be, you know, the idea that there's, you know, more to music than that meets the eye. You know, I think maybe that's more about my fascination with the visual medium, with art. 
it, it's my interest and fascination of, of taking, going beyond just the DJ booth and playing records or, or files and putting a show behind me. You know, what else can you add to music and create an even deeper, cohesive experience? And I may have said that in the 90s, but that was something that was very firmly in my mind and John Aquaviva's mind when we started Plus 8 Records. Mm -hmm. And that came from being inspired by Mute Records and other bands. But, you know, the record cover, the, 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 the label, like, you know, all these things that come together that give you either a better understanding of the artist who's behind it or a better, deeper understanding of the theme that is playing in the artist. And that, that you know, that, it just brings me or my ideas closer to the audience, closer to the person in front watching the show or closer potentially to the album that they're listening to on their headphones. I was gonna say, um I, I read in an interview as well, you just mentioned that uh, since the first Plus 8 release, having visual identity has been something that's been very important to you. Do you think that's something that sort of sets you apart from maybe other DJs or other artists? I mean, I don't know. It's weird because I think some people will say that they don't have like a brand for their artist or whatever, but all your album artwork and the music that you play, that's all sort of part of your... It, it, yeah, but, you know, or some people who don't have... They're, they're unbranded is their brand. But, mm. And brands are like... It, it's, you know, where everything is about brands now. But that was just, you know, part of... That just seemed to be natural since the day one. You, of course, I... You know, there's the Houghton brand after I went from... You know, I had a strong, bold head and... and, and and glasses, and that wasn't like, okay, I need to create a certain look. It was like, well, you know, I, I, I was traveling, and it was easier to have a shaved head, and I was blind, so I had strong glasses on, which like I thought I looked nice. Like, that's just kind of what you and, looked like. Yeah, and, and, right. and, yeah and, and then, you know, I, I grew my hair, and then it's, it happened to be the same hair as I had as a teenager, and it was kind of a strong look. And so, you know, and then Plastic Man, as I was creating that album, and, you know, I was in love I still, I'm still in love with, love with that album, Sheet One. And I was like, okay, this is, this is incredible. Like, but you know, how do I let people know this is incredible before they even hear it? Mm -hmm. you know, and then my friend was creating a thing, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, that's Plastic Man. And I'm like, well, what's Plastic Man? I was like, <laughs> well, this is Plastic Man. And then the album was done, you know, and Plastic Man was a state of you know, how we felt when we were at parties back in the 90s in, in Detroit, but, and it just all fused together and became something bigger, you know, so that, you know, all those facets of, of, of why, you know, we're, we're sitting here, why I'm well known in the industry, but also why I'm, why I enjoy this whole industry and fun and, and life, because it's, it's about all these little facets. So what does your visual identity look like these days, would you say? Hmm. Um, I think what I'm interested in right now on a visual, like my visual identity is this image of man and machine, this kind of silhouette, which not necessarily about me, but just the human form interacting with technology. I think it's a bit of a backlash of how 
visually dependent we've become on, you know, the fashion of the artists and this. And it seems to be the, the image of the artist and the DJ right now seems to be about everything except the music. But how do you visualize music? It's very, very hard. So I am very interested in pushing forward an image that gives you the sense of how this music, you know, where it's coming from. You know, not the party of clapping hands and fists in the air, but, you know, what, what, what's the image of, of, of how electronic music is, is made? You know, there's so many things going on with our touches and manipulations of dials and knobs in the studio and especially on stage. And, you know, that's, that's the image that I want and I'm trying to project right now. You know, more, nearly like, you know, more anonymous somehow, taking a step back. Somehow it's like inspired by the, the early 90s when it was more about the experience of music and clubbing and in dark nightclubs, but realizing that on the level of where electronic music is today and where I am today in festivals and big stages, how do we do that and make it really coherent? How, does it, how do you make it still have sense to the music and not become a parody of the music? So how, how do you do it? Yeah, well, that, 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 that's the, um, you know, and at, at the same time, entertain people, you know, and, and how do you make images that seem to make sense to the music as you're hearing it when, if it's really a great performer, DJ playing, you actually don't know what's coming next. You know, that's the, uh, that's why, you know, for me, the, visual form and, and also how we've developed like the, 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 the close show, it, the whole image is kind of honest. It's like, this is what's happening on stage. This is what I'm doing. I'm gonna, you know, sh show you what it looks like and I know it's gonna be entertaining on a sonic level and I hope it's going to be entertaining and exciting to look at, not only in a static photo, but during the show. And so what about in terms of um, the sort of art collaborations that you've done in the past? I know you've worked with uh, Anish Kapoor and Andreas Gursky. So is it important for you that art and music collide or meet? Yes, because I believe, you know, that I think the art and music world, there's so many interesting like-minded artists on both, uh, in, in both faculties, but I don't think this, the scenes, the audience sees a connection as often as they should. So collaborating um, or working together with Andreas or, or Anish, just, it, it again, is another way of bringing multiple components together to heighten the experience. Mm -hmm. You know, like we, we live in three dimensions. You know, we, I think, you know, I'm as curious as hearing weird sounds coming out of a speaker as I am walking around a strange object or looking at a, you know, a, how would you say it, like a, a modified interpretation of a real life scene from Andreas Gursky. 
Now, I'm also fascinated by those type of artists because they're also, their creativity has gone to another, another level by them accept, accepting technology within their creative moment. And mm -hmm. just like what I continue to do. Um, especially Andreas, it's really interesting. Well, no, both, because it's like, you know, and there, and if we're taking those two artists as, as examples, Andreas and Anish Kapoor, you know, they both started out with creating in a more organic, non-technological way, and throughout their career, careers, they've kind of, you know, played with different technologies to always reinvestigate similar themes and who they are. And that's kind of what I do. I'm not, I, I wouldn't sit here and say, okay, I have radical new ideas every year. It's you know, a continuation of a theme, of an idea that I'm building upon. And quite often I'm using technology to be able to look at it from a different angle. And that uh, gives me a different output. You know, having conversations of someone who's doing that in a photography medium or in a sculptural medium are really, really inspiring. And then when you actually bring all that together and then put people in a room and suddenly they're standing in front of a piece of art, you know, and, 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 and having something that connects to what they're seeing visually on, a, on, on an audio level, you can just create just a a more intertwined, deeper, fulfilling experience. I think it's about touching people. It's like, you know, sometimes touching, the, you know, the, the intellect and quite often touching, you know, the emotions or both at the same time. And the more mediums you work with, the more difficult it gets because it can become convoluted and you can miss the purity of just sound or just the visual medium. But when you can bring it together cohesively, it goes to another level. What about your musical identity? Do you think that all these sort of side projects or collaborations that you're sort of working on at the same time, do they also say something about your music? Yeah, um, I think, no, I think since, especially since Plastic Man Consume, which was very um, inspired by, by by art and sculpture, there's been this, um, you know, art has been a conduit for new inspiration of just looking at things and trying to visualize them sonically. So in any kind of collaboration, I think you always come out with a new perspective, which enables you to go back into the studio and rethink what you've done. Or even not only the studio, you know, you know, how, you know, how that's going to affect what you do on stage or what kind of, you know, show you're putting on for people. You know, it's, whether it's been Plastic Men Live or the contact shows early on or what we're doing with Close Now, I don't think we would have been able to envision those shows or or I wouldn't have come up with those ideas without being very inspired by the visual medium and having conversations with people like Kapoor and, and, and Andreas and another friend, Jason Martin, and just thinking about why does this static image in front of me or this object, this rock in front of me that's carved out and coated with pigment, 
how is this giving me so much pleasure? You know, and how is it affecting me so much? And then thinking, you know, well, I know how that works on, on music and exploring that in the physical world and bringing those together and then as simply as putting those concepts behind you as you're playing and hoping that that affects the people on another, on another level. Mm -hmm. And what about the more sort of material things, for example, the sake brand or you had a fashion line at one point or you were talking about comic books at, at one point in the very early days. Yeah, well, well you know, the, yeah, the comic books. Yeah, the, actually all those, all those, all those projects came up naturally. Like, I, 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 I don't know, just isn't that the case? You're like, you meet people yeah. and, and then yeah. you're like, oh, I'm doing a comic book. Like Alan Oldham, you know, a good friend of mine from back in the day in Detroit. Mm -hmm. he's, I think he's living in, in Berlin now. And, uh, you know, we just used to hang out with him and we were like, he was doing really cool comics for Transmet. And at that time, we had the whole Plus Eight gang, and me and John, Dan Bell, and we're like, yeah, we should do this futuristic comic. And, like, <laughs> and it, it was just fun, you know? And that, that's, uh, that's another, it's a, a, a word that, when you're talking about going to the gig and just punching it, like, this, this, is, this has to be fun. Like, fun, challenging, exciting, scary, you know, um, nerve-wracking, you know, anxiety, all these things wrap into making life super special. And then things like, you know, the, the, the fashion brand that goes back into the, the, the visual image. It's like, okay, you know, it's not just sound coming out of the speaker, especially when I'm at a club or especially when I'm on stage, you start thinking, well, well, at least I did, you know, well, what am I going to wear? Like what, what looks like I play? Like, what is that image? And that takes you down a path of maybe thinking about fashion and, you know, sake came out of me, Falling, I, don't, I didn't fall in love when I went to Japan. I was already in love with Japan before I got there. I don't know why. Something just fascinated me about <laughs> images I saw when I was a kid. You know, like it, I'm fascinated by Komodo dragons and Easter Island too. And I, I can trace those back because I remember having a book with Komodo dragons in, and I remember having a book with Easter Island in one. I must have been about seven or eight. You know, so who knows where all these things yeah. come from? But, you know, I found myself in Japan, I found myself loving the culture and being curious about it. And following that curiosity into food and drinks and falling in love with beautiful calligraphy and these, these exotic big 1.8 liter bottles that didn't only look good, that tasted amazing. And I started to meet people in this sake industry who were artisans. And when I started talking to them, they reminded me of artists on minus that they were like had these crazy ideas and they were trying to use technology and create a taste and I fell in love with it. I think when you are following life and these little forks come, you don't have to take them all, but I think it's really interesting to take some of these side journeys and then come back to your main one. And sometimes these side journeys take you somewhere and you bring something back and it becomes intertwined in what else, everything else you're doing. It doesn't come intertwined in my other job because I don't really have a job. It's just, this is my life. It kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about how, you know, you weren't trying to like have this sort of look with the glasses and the shaved head. That's just how you looked. And that sort of became your, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. these are just things that interest you and that sort of has become yeah, something I, bigger. Yeah, I, I, you know, I can't speak for, for, for everybody, but because now we're in a 
you know, we are in an industry, you know, and there's probably much more thought for, for, for everybody about image and marketing. And, and, and um, I just happened or was lucky to come up while the electronic music was more, was a community, was more of a scene. It was very, very, very small. Like when we went to the Music Institute, you know, in the late 80s, which was seen as like the central techno club in the world, it was like 200 people. You know, that was the community in, in Detroit for who were really, really, really into it. So, um, yeah, so it was just, just natural in doing what felt right. It wasn't like there was a master plan. You know, the master plan develops if you just f kind of follow your heart and follow your intuition. And so what would you say to people who might dismiss these sort of side projects as like a gimmick or a distraction? Well, I think they, they definitely can be a, a, a distraction. Um, and they, you know, side projects can be gimmicky. It, it just, that's, um, you know, that, that can be difficult because nobody really, it's very hard to like explain how you get into these side projects or, or what comes and, you know, you know, nobody will really understand if it's, if something's really touching you or, well, I, honestly, I think over time people will understand and you just, you know, if you're just a musician or if I was, you know, just putting out Plastic Man records or whatever, not everybody's going to like every album. Not everyone's going to like everything you do, just if you're doing one type of thing. But it's over the long haul, if you stick and stay focused to the things that you find enjoyable, that can be multiple things, that then the people who are on that journey with you will start to understand that, okay, maybe I didn't like Closer, but I like Consumed, and then I like EX, and I can see where Rich is going. This seems like, hmm. this is Rich. And that's, that's all you can do. You can only be who you are. And I think that's probably something that I'm learning, again, more now about, like, well, like, who am I? Like, I'm not, you know, 1990s, you know, shaved head rich who was only making music and was completely happy just going raving every weekend. You know, that's part of me, but there's other facets. And I just want to, you know, I was going to say celebrate that, but I don't want to celebrate it. I just want to enjoy that, like at this stage of my life. And if some of those things come together and intertwine, so be it. And if they don't, you just, you just, it's like, it's like evolution. I mean, I think it's pretty easy for people to be like sort of purist about music and that you should like only be doing music if you're a musician. But I think it's also, you know, you're not the only one, you're not the only DJ to be exploring other ventures. Yeah, like I, what I love about the Japanese is that, and especially the craftspeople that I meet, they're so dedicated to one thing their whole life. Uh, it's mm. absolutely incredible. That's true. I wish I could be like that. But unfortunately, I'm not. I came up through a different culture. My mind is jumping all over the place. And I get extreme, extreme enjoyment working on m multiple things. I actually think they all have exactly the same thing. It's working and collaborating 
with like-minded people and sharing creative ideas. You know, the, you know, my friend Isolde, when we were doing the fashion line, she's an incredible designer, had cool ideas that, you know, we both, uh, we, we shared similar ideas and, we, and, and we, we worked together and we had fun doing that. And uh, as I said, with the, with the, the sake brewers and people, it, they're actually, in my mind, if I erase what they're actually doing, they're just fun, cool, creative people who are following their own destiny and following their own ideas and hanging out and collaborating with them and seeing what comes into this world is super cool. Do you think that your side projects and other creative endeavors bring you closer to your audience? Or is it perhaps like they bring you no, to I the think attention it, of a wider audience? No, well, I, I, I think it probably makes it complicated and <laughs> has people scratching their heads and saying, okay, well, what is Rich doing? You know, what, you know, where is he going now? Both musically sometimes or DJing and of course, okay, what's his sake? Uh, if it widens my audience, it also confuses my audience. It's not there specifically to do either of those things. It's just there because it makes me happy. Can you talk a bit about your close project, which I know uses real-time video feeds and cameras to kind of demystify what's going on behind the T-shirt booth, is that right? Yeah, it, it's trying to demystify what is going on in the DJ booth. I guess I don't really, the close shows don't even really have a DJ booth because we've kind of opened it up. But how far can you explain things when I'm up there twisting knobs and, you know, there's going to be a point where you just can't explain anymore, you know. But I was really inspired watching, you know, bands and like just people just understand a band. They understand, even if you don't play guitar, you kind of feel like you can kind of air jam along with your favorite <laughs> guitarists. Not that I'm into, you know, that, that kind of music. I really music. like really, your demonstration. You know, or like, <laughs> you know, you, you, you hit a drum, you see the energy of the drum, and it's getting louder. Like, it's just a visual correlation to what you're seeing and what you're hearing. And that can be really exciting. And I really don't think it's exciting to watch someone on stage behind a table punching their fist in the air. Like, we all do it. Like, there's a moment of euphoria and you're with the crowd and that makes sense. But that's not for the whole thing. There has to be something else that can connect people to what's happening on stage. To be like, okay, I, 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 I feel that when Rich does that movement, something's happening. I, I, it just heightens the experience, in my opinion. And that's where close came from, from opening up the table to see this silhouette, this human form of me moving around and manipulating and trying to give people at least a bit more of an idea of what's going on up there. Maybe not specific, but that there is quite a lot of things going on mm -hmm. up there. It's, uh, maybe I have a bit of, of a chip on my shoulder to like, that I want to prove that. <laughs> um, I have that more than I did in the past because I think as our scene has become bigger, there's a wider, let's say, acceptance of what a DJ is, but less of an understanding. And I would like people to understand or appreciate 
the artistry that is involved with DJing. You know, and and if, if Close can help that and entertain and put me in a position where, you know, I feel that I can just play at my best and it's going to, you know, blow the socks off of people, like, that's the kind of position I want to put myself. Back to the DJ show up and, you know, play and then go home. That's fine, but like, we, and at every level, you are in a position to make a connection to the audience. And you can choose to play a great record and mix great, or you can choose to also think about some other things, you know? And that curiosity that we sp spoke about, like, I, I, I want people to be, you know, excited. I want people to go home and be like, wow, what the hell just happened? That's what I want if I go to a concert. I want to get my brain turned inside out. And close is set up to, you know, hopefully allow me to do that. And there's some technical considerations because, again, back to like the long term of people maybe not understanding or enjoying everything an artist or I do. But like, if you look back, you know, we did these minus 10 year anniversary contact shows when we were all on stage with Ali Demerol doing visuals and then we went to Plastic Man and like, it's all building and we're learning. You know, myself is learning of what I want to do, what I can do. I have an incredible team around me who most of us have been together 10 or 12 years now, even longer. Um, so, and I, I said earlier about having, waking up and having, a, I've got this idea, but maybe that idea isn't ready now. Like Close has been sitting there for like eight years. It was originally called DE9 Live, like these Dex Effects 909, you know, so it, it's, it's gone through all these permutations. But Close is built out of me seeing rock bands and the excitement. It's also me watching other very good, very entertaining electronic music shows and watching them and realizing and knowing that it's exactly the same show every night. Because if you want great visuals and music and synchronous and these cohesive explosion moments, most of the time you have to plan those moments. And DJing, in my opinion, is not about planning anything. Okay, I know I have to listen to my records, I do that loosely, um, and I, you know, I throw them in my, I make some notes, but you know, how can I get on stage and DJ and just see what happens and give entertainment behind me and give people uh, you know, a, a moment, have them feel closer, you know, see my silhouette. You know, it, it, there's so many different things going on. That's you know, what I was getting at. That's why what you're seeing is based upon cameras. You know, it's based upon just you know, my team following my movements. I don't have to think about, is this in sync or not? Is this gonna look good? I'm gonna perform, and what you're seeing is what's happening. And it's, it's, it's like what we talked about of like, I'm there, but I'm also kind of disappearing. Like it's this man and machine moment. And hopefully what you're seeing and what you're hearing is just like melting into each other as it twists your brain inside out. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I think it's interesting because without exception, uh, every DJ that I've interviewed, especially ones who kind of came up in the 90s or uh, often DJs that are from Detroit, 
um, said that when they first started going to raves, they weren't going to watch the DJ because you often couldn't even see the DJ in the DJ booth. So it's kind of, for me, it's kind of a strange paradox. Like it started out like you couldn't, there was no no DJ that you could see, and now we're like re we've reached a point where we have to like reveal the DJ all over again, sort of thing. Um, do you think this sort of demystifying of the DJ would even be necessary in in the 90s, for example? Well, I, I don't think it was necessary back then because it was on just such a smaller scale. Like if you, you know, I remember being at the clubs and, you know, when I started, I was, in, I was really in the corner. If you heard a record that you liked, you knew where the DJ was and you would go over there and have a chat and find it. Mm -hmm. And if not, you were there to just dance and enjoy the experience. But as soon as, you know, the, 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 the club world went to mega clubs and, and, and festivals, um, I think, well, you know, the, the larger it gets, the harder it is, is to, to create a really immersive sound environment. So the actual sound experience, actually, the quality of it goes down a little bit. So I think that's also why you start to think about what else can I add to give everybody in this huge crowd in front of me a, an incredible experience. And we've gone through the phases of bad visuals behind people now it's like dj on a big podium and and it's just it's someone you know punching you know in the air but for me personally i think although i'm highlighting you know me and my visual form what close allows me to do it makes me feel much closer <laughs> sorry but <laughs> you know um to how i felt back in the 90s in a DJ booth just playing music and everybody was just enjoying the experience. You know, of course there's a visual element, but in a way, I, I'm right there, I'm right in front of stage, but I feel like I'm, I've I'm kind of disappeared into this whole experience. And that's what I'm also trying to do. So I do think that this idea is really nice, but I wonder, like, what makes something like this more effective than, for example, teaching a workshop where you sort of show them the same thing? Or like having a smaller venue or having a smaller crowd, for example? Hmm. Um, well, I think it's it's about all those, those things. Um, my curiosity makes me want to do lots of different size venues and types of events and I'm as excited to get on stage and do a close show as I am to go into a small club, you know, where it's two or 300 people and, and people are just on the dance floor and to go and, you know, teach or talk to students about how to make music or how to program a 909 drum machine. I think, uh, if if I have a job, then I think my job is to play and perform and engage with my audience and my fans and my friends and give as much of my en positive energy and ideas as possible in every different way, you know, and just do what I can do at, at my best, mm -hmm. and and that's what. You know, that's what what's in, in in my in my brain. Like, let's the last couple of days we've been going over all the offers for next year, and you know, all the shows that we've already confirmed, and what we're doing in between. Like, you know, 
schools and lectures and and every you know this well how we do it we go over every different option and possibility it's like okay well what is this show like what can we do at that show you know it's a club you know do we just go in there and just play with what they have and do the best possible hot and experience as a club or do we change some lights and make it a slightly you know something different or we had this stage okay it's a huge stage is that good for close or you know it um there's so many opportunities to you know do cool stuff i mean i guess it's sort of like it's just the nature of your gigs right now that they're big mm. or you do you know what i mean or like the festivals that you're you're playing are bigger so then this is just a reaction to that specific thing you know what i mean you made a really good point in another interview about close where you pointed out that it's okay because some people simply like big festivals uh some people just like to play big festivals um and then everyone appreciates things on different levels. So maybe you can, that's a nice way, place to end it. Maybe you can talk about that a bit. Yeah, you know, it's just incredible how big the electronic music scene is around the world. Like right now we're seeing a huge explosion of interest and events in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I was reading the New York Times and on the front page there was an article about Asia and China cracking down on European-style music festivals, mostly electronic festivals. And I think China had gone from 17 last year to projected next year like 80 different festivals and outside concerts. I, you know, it's incredibly exciting, but there are, these are different size events all over the world. And no matter how connected we all are and how we feel the world is homogenized, different languages, different cultural beliefs, different intention, different expectations. And I think about all that along with my team and, and, and that it makes it really exciting and interesting and to, to go to different places and be in front of five or 10,000 people on a big stage where you have this, you have lights behind you and you have video screens that you can use and make, you know, you have so much potential. You have so much potential to lose the music, but you have so much potential to highlight and, and, and heighten the music in that situation. So what can we do, you know? And, and I wanna play on that, I, on, on, on that level. That's it. I never thought I'd play on that level, and I know when you know when when we when we do and and when when me and, and my team feel like we've got a great show and we're all in sync and we deliver, people are like, "Wow, fuck!" Like this is in, in you know this is incredible. And then the next night, you know, you get on the plane with you know one of my guys, you know, who's helping me with my technical stuff and it's just two of us traveling to the next city and we're doing a small club with 500 people and it's sweaty and, you know, it's a younger crowd and they've never seen you before and they're like, wow, what's this, what, what's this record? It's like, well, that record is, you know, <laughs> 25 years old or this record is not even released yet. I, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of the future. That's the the experience nobody has ever had before. And if I can see, 
you know, somebody in the front row of 10,000 people or somebody in the front row of 500 people club or just sometimes you don't see it. You just, you don't even look like, especially when I'm doing the close, you feel it. You feel you have the people in the palm of your hand and that's like living one step in the future together because I really don't know where I'm going to take it. They for sure don't know where I'm going to take it and we're in that moment all together. And that's where, that's what excited me being on the dance floor, listening to Derek May in 1987, 1988. It was like, what is happening right now? That's, that's the moment I want to live. That's the moment I want to create.